1: with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I am your host, Jonathan Strickland, senior writer for HowStuffWorks.com. And today I thought I'd cover a pair of related topics, things that many of us have had plenty of experience with, but maybe don't know so much about when you get down to it. And those would be emoticons and emoji. Now, in case you are not aware, those are the little pictograms or pictures that we send through various digital messaging services and online social media in order to get certain meanings and emotional intent across to one another. There are lots of simple examples, such as the pairing of the colon punctuation and closed parentheses, which makes a sideways smiley face, though I should point out some cultures will flip this around and do an open parentheses and then a colon to be a smiley face, which is flipped on the other side, but honestly, that's just plain madness when you get down to it. And there are more complicated versions, like the... Uh, emoji that seem to cover very specific moods or thoughts or concepts. We humans have taken to communicating through these pictograms in ways beyond punctuating a short message, and I'm sure you've seen some messages that consist only of those pictograms, and it ends up being your job to kind of suss out what does that message actually mean. I played that game recently myself, where everyone was using emoji to describe a movie either by title or by the plot of the film. And then it was everyone else's job to guess what the film is. And it's a fun game to play. You think of a film that maybe is is pretty popular, like, say, Wizard of Oz. And then you try and describe it using only emoji. And it's everyone else's job to try and figure out what film are you talking about. And some of them are much easier than others. And again, it depends on whether or not you're describing the movie Or the movie's title, because sometimes a title of a film has very little to do with what actually happens in the movie. But these sort of games are becoming more and more commonplace. But where did the idea for emoticons and emoji even come from? Well, between the two, emoticons really predate emoji. Uh, They actually predate emoji by a couple of decades, at least in the digital age. But obviously humans have been using pictures to communicate since prehistoric times. Now, that goes well beyond the scope of this podcast. I know that I like to give the history of stuff, and often I will go way, way, way back in order to start with a foundation, but even I am not going to go into talking about caves in ancient France that had, you know, prehistoric paintings on the walls. That, That goes beyond even the scope of tech stuff. So... Perhaps we can get one of the other shows at some point to talk about the long history of using pictures as a form of communication and I can just stick strictly to digital communication for the, for the majority of this show. However, the emoticon itself doesn't date back to ancient times because processing power back then was pretty bad, it just, you know, you couldn't even really get a bit together with the computers of the prehistoric age. However, there was some debate about when it first appeared, And and some people suggest that it first showed up in the 17th century, as in the 1600s. Now, I know what you're thinking. Jonathan, you're saying, frowny face, no one had a computer or a smartphone or a tablet or a cell phone in the 1600s extra-angry face. And you're right, but a 21st-century publicity manager for the University of Chicago Press named Levi Stahl discovered what at first appeared to be an earlier intentional emoticon. Now, Stahl was perusing poetry written by Robert Herrick. Herrick was born in 1591, and as a young man, he became one of Ben Jonson's followers. He also took holy orders in 1623 and became a-, a cleric, essentially. But he is chiefly known as a poet, with his most well-known work being Hersperides, or the works both human and divine of Robert Herrick. One of his most famous poems is To the Virgins, To Make Much of Time, which begins with the lines, Gather ye rosebuds while ye may, Old time is still a-flying, and the same flower that smiles today, tomorrow will be dying. Really cheerful stuff, but that's not the poem that specifically caught Levi Stahl's attention. The one that he was interested in was a, t- a poem titled To Fortune, and that was first published in 1648. And the original publication actually contains the instance that Stahl said this might be an early emoticon. The first two lines of that poem read as follows, Tumble me down, and I will sit upon my ruins, smiling yet. But that smiling yet is a parenthetical. It is Enclosed within parentheses. So, upon my runes, smiling yet is in parentheses. And just before the final parentheses, the closed parentheses, is a colon. And so, it looks like one of those little smiling emoticons that you would have seen in text messages for the last several years. Colon, closed parentheses. Smiley face, right? And as I mentioned... This was in the 1600s, so Stahl's reaction was, hey, this might actually be an, a real instance of an emoticon, because the words immediately preceding the symbols are smiling yet. So maybe this is really a clever use of typography, where the author was intentionally including the colon and the closed parentheses to indicate a smile following the words, smiling yet. So this could be a very clever show of humor. However, that particular interpretation has been disputed by many scholars who point out that not only were there other instances of the colon parentheses throughout uh, his works that had nothing to do with smiling, like they were paired with words that had no connection to the concept of smiling, but also... Punctuation in the 17th century had not really reached the level of guidelines yet. It was pretty chaotic. It was sporadic. No one had really standardized it. So it's more likely this was not an example of any sort of meaningful expression or some sort of visual joke on top of the layer of poetry. In fact, there are plenty of examples of writers from the 17th century using unnecessary punctuation before closing out a parenthesis. There are other examples of odd punctuation that met no accepted standard that arose during the same time period, such as a comma and a dash. There was no need for a dash after a comma, but there were a lot of writers who were including this because there had not been a widely adopted standard in place. So it appears this smiley face was more of a coincidence and not actually a sly jest. And there's actually another example that predates Herrick's poem by a few years, and this would be the first example of an emoji, not an emoticon. A 17th century notary in Slovakia apparently used a little drawing of a face, kind of similar to a smiley face, although the mouth did not have a big curve to it, so it's not like a big smile, it was more like a circle, like your traditional smiley face, two dots for eyes, and a little line that perhaps was a slight smile, but not an exaggerated one. The notary in question was Jan Ladeslides, and honestly, I'd probably just refer to this as a little smiley face, not even an emoji, except for the fact that this was apparently to indicate that the form he was notarizing met with his approval. So it wasn't that he was just notarizing this form, which was a town document for a little town in Slovakia, but that he was also saying, I approve of this. I'm not just notarizing it. I approve of it. And in that case, it was fulfilling a function that emojis many centuries later would continue to fulfill. So you could argue that perhaps this instant In early 1600s was the first use of an emoji. But if Herrick's poetry, or Slovakian document, wasn't really the origin of the emoticon, what was? Well, could it have been a speech from the 16th president of the United States back in 1862? Again, that's what someone thought might be possible. They were looking at a transcript of one of Abraham Lincoln's speeches. And the passage from that speech reads like this. Fellow citizens, I believe there is no precedent for my appearing before you on this occasion. Open bracket, applause, closed bracket. But it is also true that there is no precedent for you being here yourselves. Open parentheses, applause and laughter, semicolon, closed parentheses. And I offer in justification and so on. The speech goes on. But that semicolon, closed parentheses pairing looks like a winky face. And what we would usually use is a, hey, did you get it? A wink? Well, could that be the intent? I mean, the phrase that immediately precedes it says, applause and laughter. It might just be a sly reference on the part of the speechwriter to say, look how clever I am. We're going to pause for applause and laughter, winky face, because I'm so funny. So it could have been an inside joke. I mean, obviously, no one who's hearing the speech would have seen this. This was something that was written down on paper. But first of all, I hate stage directions and speeches like this. This is just commentary on Jonathan's part. I hate stage directions and speeches because it presupposes what an audience's reaction to your speech is going to be. So pause for applause or pause for laughter are two phrases I hate to see in speeches. It is a lot of hubris to assume that you're going to get applause or laughter at those parts. Now, if you do get those responses, you need to know how to ride them out when you're giving a public presentation so that you can wait until it crests and as it begins to die down, you can pick back up with your speech and people will not miss what you have to say, but... There's nothing more awkward than watching a public presentation where clearly there was a stage direction to pause for some audience reaction and there's no reaction. It's just, you know, you might as well have that cricket sound effect playing in the background. Terribly awkward. So if in fact was an intentional emoticon, it was incredibly bold to suggest that I am so clever that clearly people are going to laugh winky face more importantly, most scholars think it probably was either a typo or it was a late example of that wanton punctuation I had mentioned about the 17th century. Uh, it may very well have just been one of those elements where that was kind of a a habit on behalf of the person who was writing the speech, not an in indicator that this was an emoticon, but rather when they would close out a parenthesis, they would put in this semicolon and then close parentheses because that's the kind of stuff we used to see a couple hundred years earlier the the point being that we cannot be sure this was an intentional effort to put in some sort of emotional intent within a written document although it doesn't stop people from sometimes citing it as one of the earliest uses of emoticons now there is at least one 19th century occurrence that was clearly intentional it really was an emoticon not necessarily the way we use them today but that is exactly what it was because we're told that's what it is this was back in 1881 there was a satirical magazine in the united states called puck puck was essentially what the onion is today it was satire and it was meant to poke fun at different institutions and traditions So this was fully with that intent. There was a piece titled Typographical Art, and it stated that the printing press was now capable of creating expressions that rivaled those made by cartoonists. This was sort of like any other article in a satire. It was meant to make a ridiculous claim and then provide evidence that in no way really supports that claim. It's very flimsy evidence. But that's where the humor is, right? So specifically, the article states, We wish it to be distinctly understood that the letterpress department of this paper is not going to be trampled on by any tyrannical crowd of artists in existence. We mean to let the public see that we can lay out in our own typographical line all the cartoonists that ever walked. For fear of startling the public, we will give only a small specimen of the artistic achievements within our grasp by way of a first installment. The following are from Studies in Passions and Emotions. Then, underneath this little paragraph, there's a a sequence of four different images that are made up of letterpress symbols like parentheses and dashes, but they are oriented so that you can make vertical faces. They're not turned on their side the way emoticons would be later on. They're up and down, not left and right. Uh, and, you know, they just make very primitive looking faces. Underneath each face was a label to express what the emotion behind that face was supposed to be. So you had things like, uh, joy, melancholy, indifference, and astonishment. And it was all just very simple shapes. The joke being that the people in the letterpress department are saying, we can show off just as much artistic integrity as your greatest cartoonists. So don't think you can walk all over us because our job is to set letters within a printing press in order to create these copies of the magazine. So it's a joke. Just saying, we can do what you can do. But clearly the actual evidence was... (laughs) Uh, severely lacking as far as subtlety or art is concerned. Those images did not enter regular use at this point. Remember, this is predating things like typewriters. This is still putting movable type onto a press and then closing the press down. Uh, so typewriters and, and the such were not really uh, accessible by your general public at this time. So what about the smiley face itself? When did that become a symbol for happiness? Despite these early examples, it had not reached widespread adoption, and it appeared pretty late on the scene. It didn't happen the way it was shown in the film Forrest Gump. So there was no cross-country jogger involved. There were no giant puddles of mud. There was no passing truck to splash anybody. None of that had anything to do with the invention of the traditional smiley face that actually came out of a PR campaign. There was an uh, ad creator by the name of Harvey Ross Ball, and he designed the smiley face. Uh, He was working on a campaign to help improve employee morale at an insurance company in the wake of several tumultuous acquisitions and mergers that the company had just been through. So employees were feeling stressed out, frustrated, nervous about their fate and the company wanted to try and turn things around by creating a a campaign of positivity. It took Ball about 10 minutes to come up with the smiley face design, which included the yellow background, the slightly strange oval-like eyes. Like, they're not quite the same size and orientation. And then the not completely perfect uh, parabolic arc that is the smile, There's a little bit of imperfection there that's purposefully put there, and it adds to the charm. All of that was Ball's design. It took him about 10 minutes. He was paid the princely sum of $45 for his design, and neither he nor State Mutual Life Assurance Company bothered to copyright or trademark the design. Uh, The rest of the story ends up being kind of less happy, but, you know, let's tell it anyway. Because there was no copyright or trademark protection on the design, it was free for anyone to grab and use for themselves. There was nothing to prevent them from doing this. And in the 1970s, two brothers named Murray and Bernard Spain decided that they wanted to use this image. They appropriated it. And they used it in their own business. They were owners of a couple of different Hallmark card shops in the Philadelphia area. So they took the design and they added a phrase, have a happy day. Not have a nice day, but have a happy day. And they added that to the smiley face. And then they applied for a copyright, which they received. So they got a copyright that was on a design that in part was not theirs. That wasn't their creation. So they were able to copyright this design and use it for themselves. Uh, they also made a mint off of it because they were selling buttons and cards and shirts all with this logo and f- slogan on it. And it was incredibly popular during the 1970s. Meanwhile, over in Europe, in France to be specific, there was a journalist named Franklin Lufrani who registered the smiley face mark for commercial use in Europe. He would use it to indicate news stories with an uplifting tone in a paper in France called Francois. Uh, he also was able to leverage this into a merchandising boom. He called his design Smiley, and he was selling all sorts of stuff like T-shirts throughout Europe with the the image on it. One could argue, however, that his use of the Smiley face to indicate items that were of good news in papers was similar to what emoticons would be used for today. So perhaps this counts as an early emoji. But let's get to the official birth of the emoticon itself as we think of it today. This actually dates to the 1980s in a computer lab at Carnegie Mellon University. It's amazing that we can actually track down the birth of the emoticon as it is used today. Often these sort of things end up being buried in legend and lore and we never really understand where something came from. It just, we can kind of point when it became popular, but anything before that tends to be a mystery. Not so in this case because things that existed online have a habit of sticking around. Even if that online was just online in the case of a, of a local network and not the internet at large because we're talking about 1982. Most universities didn't have access to the Internet. Carnegie Mellon is probably an exception to that. But uh, this was not a Internet meme. This was very local on a bulletin board system. So we can pinpoint the date of emoticon creation to September 19th, 1982. So here's what was happening. Computer science students and other students who had become interested in computers uh We're using a school electronic bulletin board system, or BBS, to post messages to one another. So this was a predecessor to the news groups and forums that you would find over the Internet, but this would be a decade before the World Wide Web ever existed. To access a BBS, typically you would use a dial-up modem, and you would call a phone number that would be connected to a specific computer that hosted the bulletin board system. Uh, Some of these bulletin board systems could only have one connection at a time. So you might try and call and get a busy signal, and you'd have to wait and try and call later. You also had a lot of bulletin board systems that tried to regulate traffic by charging per minute of use. And that way you could cut down on someone just hogging the bulletin board system just for him or herself. But it was, again, like a precursor to what the Internet would be. It was local. It was not the entire network of networks. There was, however, a different problem besides just how do you access this information, and that problem was in miscommunication. It's a problem that still persists to this day, in fact. As has always been the case, some folks would post messages or responses that were intended to be a joke, to be humorous. But when you just post text, as all of you know... You have no benefit of tone or facial expression or body language. None of those other elements of communication are present. And so sometimes it's difficult to suss out which messages are being cheeky or humorous versus which ones are being serious or sincere or outright insulting on purpose. It can be hard to determine what is what that would lead to misunderstandings and misinterpretations. Sometimes that would completely derail any sort of discussion about whatever the topic was until someone was able to get everything back on track. So in other words, it was creating a frustrating environment in which time would be wasted on stuff that really wasn't that important. And that's when a student stepped in. Uh, it was 30, 30 years old at the time. Uh, his name's Scott Fallman. And Scott Fallman would come up with a solution to this problem. Now, I'll talk more about that in just a second. But first, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. With SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's c o n c u r.com. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T In-Car Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. I bet you're smart.
1: Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi.
0: We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Go find it now and hit follow. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove and that was a full episode of my new podcast, StraightForward. Inspired by guaranteed, straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a man. Available wherever you will get your podcast. Limited to availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details.
0: Fallman himself has said that he wasn't the only person to suggest the use of some form of indicator that showed intent that showed emotional intent behind messages so that people could know how to interpret any given message, particularly ones that are jokes, so they don't mistake it for some sort of genuine request or statement. But there was a group that had been advocating for some sort of system that would either tell you a message was serious or wasn't serious. According to Fallman himself, about half of the group were seriously suggesting that approach, and the other half were kind of making a joke, thus illustrating the need for the system in the first place, because not even everybody who was saying, we need this, actually meant it. Some of them were joking about it. So I guess it was hard to tell, since they hadn't invented emoticons yet. There were several competing ideas that were put forward to indicate tone and intent, and Fallman was the one who said that you should use two different Sets of marks to indicate what the message is all about. So you would use a colon, dash, and closed parentheses combination to indicate a joke. That would be the smiley face, the sideways smiley face. Or a colon, dash, open parentheses to indicate a serious post. That would be the frowny face. It didn't take much time at all before people started using the frowny face not to indicate serious posts, but instead to indicate displeasure or frustration or anger. So very quickly, they began to appropriate that frowny face for a purpose that was different than what was originally intended. But it made sense because... Being serious doesn't necessarily mean frowny face, right? You can be serious without being sad or upset. Uh, they wanted to use that more as an indicator that this is something that they do not like. And so that's how, that's how it came to mean what it meant. It's the way people use it. it doesn't matter what you intended when you created it. It matters how the people used it. So, Uh, creators in general find this really frustrating when they make something and then their audience ends up interpreting it differently or using it differently than the way they had intended the creators. That is the way the creators had intended, but that becomes the right way to use it. If enough people do it and that becomes the accepted way to use it, it doesn't really matter what the creator originally intended. And it's a very frustrating thing to come to grips with if you are a creator because you had a very specific use case in mind when you were going about your creative process. And then people go and muck it all up by <laughs> doing their own thing. Um, but that's life. The system saw widespread adoption at Carnegie Mellon, and eventually it found its way to BBSs at other colleges and universities and spread from there. So the concept of emoticons was going strong and was going viral well before the average person was using text messaging or instant messaging. Not many people had any sort of cellular phone and text messages wasn't that really wasn't a thing yet. But people were starting to pick up on this concept for electronic messaging. Fallman notes that many different variations of those two basic smiles, including noseless versions, the ones that would leave out the dash, so you just have the colon and the open or closed parentheses, those would appear over the following years. Sometimes it was just an exercise someone undertook to find clever ways to make recognizable images using a limited set of typography, sort of ASCII art in a way. And some people would just see what sort of creative, complicated images they could make using all these different set, uh, icons or set symbols. Fallman noted that the three sequences that were the most common that stuck around, no matter what other ones people might create were the smiley face, the frowny face and the winky face, which of course uses a semicolon instead of just a colon in order to make it look like one of the eyes is winking. Those were the three that he said would get the most use and other ones might pop up now and again as a joke or as a clever way of showing how someone had come up with a new way to indicate a particular image, but they didn't stick around as much. As for the term emoticon, that rose sometime in the early to mid-1980s, but I could find no citation that pointed to the origin of the word itself. Now, we know that the word comes from the combination of the words emotion and icon. That's what emoticon comes from. It's the blending of those two words. But we don't know who first coined it, or at least I couldn't find any reputable source that explained who first thought of calling these things emoticons. But I think most people can easily understand how they come in handy to help a recipient get the gist of your intention when you delivered a message. Uh, People understand the use of it. Even if they think that they're kind of silly, you can't deny that it helps understand tone and emotion if it's paired with another message. In person, we use body language, we use facial expressions, we use tone in order to get these subtle meanings across. So we do this with our face-to-face communication all the time. It only makes sense to create a system to incorporate that in our textual communication. Otherwise, we lose an enormous amount of information that normally would be communicated between two people if they were face to face. So I don't want to say that emoticons are the end all be all of communication, but they I think they definitely have their use and they can really help cut down on misunderstandings, particularly when it comes to doing things like posting jokes. Now, they also were more useful than just language, because if you think about old text messaging, you were limited to 140 characters or so, a little bit more than that, actually. 140 I chose because that's Twitter, but obviously, you know, with text messages, it's a little bit more than that. The problem with that is if you make a statement and then you have to explain the emotional intent behind that statement it might double or triple the length of the message you need to send, which means you either have to send it in groups of messages so that people understand what you meant when you texted what you texted. Or you could use an emoticon, which sums it up in a very simple picture made up of these you know, bits of typographical symbols. So for the sake of brevity... And being able to get across that intent within the constraints of digital information, it made a lot of sense. So as cellular phones became popular, people began to adopt the use of emoticons more and more. It was a convenient way to get that meaning across. It was also helpful if you wanted to express an emotional reaction to something, but words just didn't seem adequate. Maybe it would seem trite or just not the right response. Uh, I've had plenty of situations where I would text a smiley face to somebody instead of saying something like, that makes me happy, because seeing a text that says that makes me happy seems a little off-putting to me. I can't even put into words why, but if I get a thing, if I get a message that says, that makes me happy, because there's no tone There's no body language. There's no facial expression. It feels like something a serial killer might send to me (laughs) because it's so flat in text. But a smiley face, that says it all. I get it. You're you're approving. You're smiling. You're happy at the thing I just said. Uh, Same thing with sad. You know, sometimes saying I am sad for you or it just doesn't quite work. And sending the picture, people get the idea of This is the emotion I am experiencing when I see the message you have sent to me. One thing I find really interesting is how emoticons have evolved in different regions. So in the West, here in the United States and Canada and Europe, the style tends to follow Fallman's example with all the expressions turned to the side. So you'd have to cock your head 90 degrees to see the faces upright because everything's sideways, colon, open parentheses or closed parentheses. Sometimes you might see people swap the order around because usually it would go top to bottom by reading left to right. So again, the colon are the eyes and the closed parentheses, for example, would be the smiling lips. So that's top to bottom, left to right. Some people would swap that where they go uh, right to left for top to bottom. They're crazy and... You probably shouldn't trust them, but they would do it the opposite way. But still, you would have this horizontal alignment instead of vertical for the faces. But that's not the way it is all over the world. In other parts of the world, you would find a vertical representation. In Japan, that's the kind of emoticons they would use. Now, this particular style is still emoticons, and they were called keomoji. Uh, This style used a few more symbols than the Western versions did, largely because the Japanese digital keyboards had to have a lot more symbols in order to get across the written language uh, of Japanese. So they had a lot of different symbols to work with, and they could build out images that look like upright faces. Uh, It also ended up indicating the elements of a face that are more important for reading emotion in the Japanese culture as opposed to the Western culture. In Western culture, the emphasis is on the mouth. Is it a smile? Is it a frown? Is it indifference by the mark of just a straight line? Those are typical for the Western depictions of emotion. But in Japan, the eyes are more important. So if the eyes are positioned in a, in a high position, it tends to express joy. Uh, so you build out this little image using these various symbols that are grouped together, and some of the symbols are representing eyes. If they're in a high position, that would mean happiness. You could also choose different images for the mouth that would indicate a smile or a laugh or something along those lines, symbols that made the eyes look like they were clenched shut such as the less than and greater than signs those could be used to show displeasure that you're you're scrunching your eyes closed because you're not happy so again the eyes are more important here than the mouth would be also the, the because they had more symbols They could use lots of different shapes like stars and hearts and things like that that were kind of in webding or wingding styles in order to indicate uh, or or to increase the number of expressions that they could make with emoticons. The adoption of the cell phone and later the smartphone was really off the charts in Japan. Japanese cultures flocked to cell phone technology faster than you saw in other parts of the world. uh, And... Partly because of those limitations of that technology, you started seeing more use of emoticons in text messaging because, again, it allowed you to get across these emotional feelings without having to spell everything out. But these style of pictograms all had one thing in common. They consisted of various symbols grouped together to create a simulacrum of an emotion. So in other words... It's not really a smiley face. It's a colon and a closed parentheses. So it's two different symbols that together kind of look like a smiley face. That's an emoticon. Uh, emoticons are made up of individual symbols that collectively appear to make a picture. Later, you would get the birth of the emoji. These are actual pictures, things like a smiley face. It's not a representation of a smiley face. It's an actual smiley face. And that is the difference between an emoji and an emoticon. They are not interchangeable. Emoticons are made up of individual symbols that have been grouped together to make a better picture or a bigger picture, I should say. An emoji are actual images that have been crafted for the purpose of digital distribution. Now, before I dive into this topic, I want to give a shout out to an, uh, an author and a researcher named Vivian Evans. He's got an upcoming book titled The Emoji Code, and Mr. Evans Publishers sent me an advanced copy of this book. So I used it as one of my primary research sources for this episode, specifically about emoji. It became very handy. So uh, if you see The Emoji Code available, I believe it goes on sale starting in August of this year. Uh, it's very interesting. It has a lot to do about emoji and about language and communication and psychology. It's got a lot of different topics wrapped up in it, not just the history and, uh, and, and social use of emoji, but really the psychological elements of language and communication and what separates a language from a code. So check that out. But to start with, what exactly is an emoji? Well, the word again is a combination of different words. Emoticon was emotion and icon. Now, with emoji, we're talking about Japanese words. The E means picture and moji essentially means written character. So picture, written character all together. Uh, Unlike emoticons, which represented stuff by using common symbols, these are actual designs, little drawings, small pictures of whatever it was you wanted to send. So there is a difference. There are plenty of programs that today will automatically convert emoticons into emoji. So with a lot of different messaging systems or social media platforms, if you were to do the colon closed parentheses instead of seeing that emoticon, it will automatically convert it into a smiley face emoji. Uh, Different programs will stylize this in different ways. So depending upon which platform you're using, it might appear like a smiley face in one design. And if you're in a totally different platform, it could look like a smiley face of a completely different design. But in both cases, you understand what the underlying message is. They might look different because they are different instances of the same idea but you link it back to whatever that core idea was. Uh, So for example, if I used Google and I was sending a smiley face and a lot of those Google messaging systems, the smiley face would come across as a little smiling Android because that's the Google mobile operating system. But other systems might just have a more traditional yellow smiley face and others might have it keyed directly into whatever their user interface looks like so that it, it, matches the rest of the design of whatever media platform or messaging system you're using. Emoji first debuted in Japan in the 1990s. At that time, Japan was developing a mobile phone internet platform, which was the precursor to the mobile sites that you might encounter today when you use a smartphone to browse the web. Emoticons have been incredibly popular on cellular phones, and Emoji were seen as the next step. The Japanese company NTT Docomo was working on building this platform and incorporated Emoji into the user interface. In the beginning, there were 176 Emoji characters available. Today, there's more than 1,500 variations that allow for different skin tones, for different faces, uh, and also to more accurately represent the variety of features that humans can possess Not to mention there are a ton of emojis for inanimate objects, for animals, for countries. There's an enormous number of them. Now, the rise of the emoji in the West really began in September of 2011. That's about how long it took for smartphone penetration to really reach a height in the United States. By then, they had become consumer electronics. you got to keep in mind that before 2007... Most smartphone owners were either bleeding edge tech adopters or they were business executives who were using smartphones as personal digital assistants and no one else really needed a smartphone. They weren't the the mobile web wasn't good enough and the interfaces for smartphones weren't intuitive enough for them to really make a break into the consumer market. But then that little company called Apple came along and introduced the iPhone and they really designed an amazing interface for smartphones. It's not necessarily what I would have wanted. I mean, I never bought an iPhone, but it did make using the smartphone sexy and easy to understand. And by 2011, smartphones had been dominating the market enough where emoji started to show up on various digital keyboards. So it became common enough to warrant a new approach to expressing emotion online, As Evans points out in his book, the rise of the emoji has also led to a decline in certain abbreviations like LOL, JK, and OMG, which stand for Laugh Out Loud, Just Kidding, and Oh My God. Those used to be ubiquitous across the internet and across the web, but now because of emojis, they are used less frequently. People will use an emoji that's associated with those abbreviations to get that feeling across, and some programs will automatically translate those abbreviations or those initializations into the emojis. Uh, And heck, the messaging system I use on Android will even suggest emoji for certain common words, such as displaying a little cartoon piece of cake if you write the word cake. This is cute if you're sending a message to somebody, like if I were texting my wife about cake and it showed a little picture of cake, I might want to use that. But it's really irritating if you're, I don't know, trying to create a food diary entry into your fitness app. Cough, cough. This happens to me a lot. Cough. So it turns out my fitness pal recognizes the word chicken, but it isn't so good at figuring out what a little cartoon chicken means. So I wish that this setting wouldn't automatically uh, pop up because I have on occasion typed in emojis into my fitness tracker app and I've had to go back and edit it. First world problem, if ever there was one. Gosh darn it, this cartoon chicken is ruining my fitness application I have running on my smartphone. Now that I say it out loud, I'm actually ashamed that I even brought it up. Anyway, in Evans's research, he found that... 80% of all smartphone owners in the United Kingdom had sent messages containing an emoji at some point or another, and 40% of all smartphone owners had sent messages consisting of only emoji with no text accompanying it. So they were using emoji exclusively in some messages to communicate meaning. Uh, That doesn't mean that they would only text in emoji, but that At some point or another, they had only used an emoji to get an idea across and not used any text along with it. And there have been a lot of examples of various personalities and news outlets posting messages or headlines using only emoji. Now, this is kind of interesting. There's a governing body that determines what is and isn't an official emoji. That body is a non-profit organization called the Unicode Consortium. Which sounds kind of ominous, so maybe we need some sort of shady emoji to put next to that name. But the purpose of the group is pretty straightforward. It's to create, maintain, and promote software internationalization standards so that we don't encounter issues when tech in one part of the world attempts to communicate with tech in another part of the world. It would be really frustrating If every time you tried to send data to a device that was across the world, you ended up getting an error message because there was some sort of incompatibility with the way you were sending that message. So if you were just getting uh, a message on your phone and all it was showing was blocks, just empty blocks, because the phone was unable to interpret what those emoji meant, then you're losing all meaning entirely. And of course, the purpose of emoji is to help get your meaning across to someone So if there's no emoji there, if the way I'm receiving it is incompatible with the way you're sending it, I miss out on that intent. And it could be that I misinterpret your message or that I just don't understand it at all. Because if you're communicating primarily through emoji, all I'm getting are empty boxes. Well, that's the purpose of this organization. It's not just for emoji. That's only one part of what they do. But emoji does have a standard. And by creating this international standard, they can ensure that various platforms are all able to interpret the same code so that they can display a relevant image so that when you receive it, you understand what's being sent. According to this consortium, emoji are pictographs a.k.a. pictorial symbols that are typically presented in a colorful form and used in line in text. They represent things such as faces, weather, vehicles, and buildings, food and drink, animals and plants, or icons that represent emotions, feelings, or activities. The consortium determines the standards for how emoji should be designed. For example, each character should have an emoji variant, which can even include animation, And a text presentation. Text presentation tends to be black and white or monochromatic. Uh, The standard goes on to say a text presentation must be a simple foreground shape whose color is determined by other information and does not change. So if you were to have a text presentation of an emoji within other text... You could highlight all that text and change the font color, but the emoji itself should remain whatever the original color was. You cannot change it just by changing the color of the text. Its color is independently determined uh, from the color of text itself. The standard uh, ends up saying that, well, you need both of these things, and they both need to have the same core concept at play, but they can be very different designs, so For example, an ice cream cone. The emoji version might be very colorful. It might be a a little golden cone and then maybe a pink blob of ice cream, maybe even a little melting drop coming off of it. Whereas the text representation might be an icon that clearly has a cone and a little circle on top. And you would look at that and say, all right, well, that, that's, that's an ice cream cone because the cone tapers. I figure that's an ice cream cone. It's not a microphone. It's not some I'm not going to mistake it for something else. And while the two instances look different from each other, they both link back to that same core concept. And that is absolutely critical with emoji. It has to link back to that core concept or else it's not relevant. It's sending the wrong message. So you couldn't have an ice cream cone that could be mistaken for something else, like a fire hydrant. That would end up causing massive communication problems. I mean, if you send me a message that says, today's really hot, let's go out and buy a fire hydrant, I'd say, that's no, I don't even know how you would do it, and then we'd have a breakdown in communication. So there are very specific rules that you have to follow in order to create these emoji. And I'll get into some more of those rules in just a minute. But before I get into that, let's take another quick break to thank our sponsor. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required.
1: Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills.
0: that ever created its own emojis for the purpose of national identity was Finland. Finland created Finnish emoji that you couldn't find anywhere else. Uh, For example, they had one of a person in a sauna because it's Finland, the country where I'd quite want to be pony trekking or camping or just watching TV. If you get that reference that I just made, tell me because I will be impressed, and will bestow upon you my good wishes, because I have nothing else to give away yet. These emojis, these Finnish emojis, were not actually part of the Unicode standard, so they did not become universal, because again, those Unicode standards, that was an international standard, and while these emojis were popular in Finland, they didn't have a whole lot of application outside of that country. So they didn't become part of the general lexicon of emojis. So they are an emoji, but not an official emoji from the Unicode standpoint. Now, when an emoji does become standard, it can be included on digital keyboards across all platforms and devices. Otherwise, you could be limited to a specific program to show particular types of emoji, There's an example I can give right away because I saw it earlier today on twitch.tv. One of the emojis you can post is a Bob Ross emoji. Bob Ross emojis are adorable, but they are also unique to Twitch. They are not going to be across all platforms. Now, One thing that has to be true, no matter what platform it's on, is that they should be identifiable to that core concept that was chosen in the first place. So if you send me that ice cream cone emoji, that's what I should see on my screen, regardless of the program. It might look like a different type of ice cream cone to me than it did to you, but it should be readily identifiable as an ice cream cone as opposed to some other object like a yo-yo. There have been some interesting campaigns to get certain emoji adopted by the Unicode consortium. For example, when it comes to food emoji, we have Taco Bell to thank for the taco emoji. That uh, Taco Bell, they organized a petition on change.org, and it might be one of the few times I have ever heard of an online petition that actually created enough momentum to get something done. And I might be a little snarky about that, but honestly, I think a lot of online petitions ultimately don't accomplish much in this case it accomplished something i don't know that it was anything necessarily world-changing but it did get tacos added to official emojis there was also a businesswoman named yi Ying lu who was successful in petitioning the consortium into adopting a new food emoji and that was the dumpling this became known as the dumpling project She argued that it should become an official emoji to join the other ones that were already represented. Uh, A lot of the foods that were represented involved foods that were popular in Western cultures, pizza, hamburgers, especially American culture. Not a big surprise, seeing as how the web was so dominant and the United States was very dominant on the web. But people like Yi Ying Lu wanted to have representation of other cultures, And so she argued that the dumpling should be adopted, and ultimately it was. And to be fair, dumplings can also appear in very different forms around the world. So it's not not something that is peculiar to Chinese culture. It is also in others as well, in different forms. There are lots of different types of dumplings. There are certain rules that you have to follow if you want to submit an emoji. Now, first... There are certain subjects that are just against the rules, and this is where the Bob Ross one would fall apart. You cannot create an emoji that represents any real person alive or dead. So the Bob Ross emoji would not pass muster for the Unicode emojis because it breaks that rule. That's off-limits for Unicode adoption. Deities are also verboten. You cannot have a uh, uh, an, an official emoji that represents a religious a specific religious figure so you won't find emojis representing Buddha or Jesus for example and you have to pass more subjective standards as well for example one of the requirements is that the emoji must have widespread appeal in other words this is what the the Finnish ones would not have met the person in a sauna is probably not going to be as widespread as it would be in Scandinavia So it doesn't really fit that criteria. However, this is subjective. How do you determine how popular something must be before you say it has widespread appeal? I don't know how they answer that question. It might be something that is a case-by-case basis. Uh, Some of them just end up being judgment calls. And sometimes it can take a while for the group to reach any sort of consensus on it. So it may be that something that gets dismissed early on is accepted later on because people have changed their perception and say, no, this has a wider appeal than we first thought, and therefore it has merit as an emoji. And there are tons of stories of emoji being used in clever reporting or marketing or playful ways, but there are also a few stories that are a lot more serious, such as the case of Osiris Aristi. In the winter of 2015, Aristi posted some messages on Facebook. He had a publicly available Facebook profile. He did not have it posting specifically to friends. And he was posting lots of angry messages, particularly about police. And one of those was a message made up of emoji uh, that included a police officer emoji followed by three gun emojis that were pointed toward the police officer and on January 18th, 2015, police arrested Aristi, charging him with making a terrorist threat against police, among a few other charges. That terrorist charge would later be dropped, but it was a precedent, showing that emoji do matter, that people can interpret that as actual serious language. Um, it made a lot of headlines at the time. And uh, there were other charges that Aristi ended up getting called up on, but that particular terrorist charge did not hold up. it was It was dropped after about a month of the proceedings. Evans argues that emoji aren't a language in themselves, but rather are a code, which I agree with. Uh, I would also suggest that emoji could eventually become more than just a code, but that would require some other elements for emoji to actually qualify as a language it could end up being something similar to what we see with sign language. And you've probably heard of sign language interpreters. You might even know sign language. But the reason we call them interpreters is they have to interpret the meaning people make when they sign and then turn that into some other form of language, like English. Because sign language uh, isn't just a visual representation of language. In fact, that's not what it is at all. Sign language is not a visual version of English. American Sign Language is not just hand gestures that relate back to English words. Sign language is in itself its own language with its own vocabulary, its own rules of grammar, sentence structure, all of the things you would find in any other language. They are present in sign language. So when people who learn sign language as an additional language learn it, they are frequently doing a more direct interpretation of English and then translating that into signs. People who are using sign language natively are communicating ideas through sign language. It's not filtering into English and then into sign language. It is straight into sign language. It is a language like any other. Emoji don't qualify as that. Emoji do not have a codified set of rules and grammar that they can follow where you can expect to get your meaning across. Emoji depend heavily upon pre-existing languages. And that also means that they tend to follow the logical course that our languages follow for all, all of our respective cultures. What I mean by that is English has a very specific grammatical structure. We have a particular word order we associate with intent and meaning. So if I were to try and spell out a message in emoji, it would likely follow a pattern that would be similar to what I would say if I were speaking those words out or typing those words out. But if you came from a different culture that had a different grammar, a different word order and sentence structure, you might try and express the exact same concept I'm talking about with a completely different order of emoji because you would be following the logic dictated by your own language rather than by English. And because of this, emoji don't have a universal set of rules to follow. They cannot really be a language. It is more of a code. It's a codified version of a pre-existing language that tries to get those concepts across through pictures rather than through words. But they're still following the grammatical rules in general, that words follow. To wrap this up, I thought it'd be fun to talk about some of the most popular emoji, which is, uh, turns out, a very difficult thing to determine. Uh, I actually used a tool called Emojitracker.com to look at real-time feedback on which emoji were getting the most frequent use on Twitter. I do not recommend looking at it if you suffer from uh, seizures, like if, if visual cues can trigger a seizure. Don't look at emoji... Uh, emojitracker.com because there's lots of stuff changing rapidly as you look at it in real time. But first place easily goes to what is often referred to as face with joy. It's also the the laughing so hard tears are coming out emoji. So it represents that you're so overcome with joy that you're crying tears as a result. Second place would go to just a simple heart emoji. Uh, that's adorable. Third place would go to the smiley face that has hearts for eyes. So you see that the first few all have to do with joy and love, which is nice. Uh, it's only when you get to fifth place on emojitracker.com that I saw the first sad emoji where it was a, a sad crying face. And seventh, when you get your first true displeasure emoji, not just sad, but I do not approve of this kind of face. Now Twitter's just one source. The University of Michigan actually conducted a study back in 2016 to look at the most popular emoji. They found similar results across the board. The face with joy emoji was still number one in their in their search. Uh it appeared more than twice as often as the second most popular emoji, which again was the heart. Uh, the okay symbol, as in the the circle made with the forefinger and thumb, that was in the top ten. Uh, ninth place went to the first sad crying emoji. So sadness did not get in the top five, but it was number nine. The see no evil monkey was number 13 and number 20 was clapping hands. I was amazed that poo didn't make the top 20. Twitter issued a report in 2016 that gave indications of the most popular emoji, including a breakdown by country, which I found absolutely fascinating. In the United States and in Canada and the United Kingdom, it was an expression of dismay. It was an open-mouthed, sad-eyes expression. It looked like someone wailing. And uh let's be fair, 2016 was a pretty frickin' rough year for a lot of places. So you can imagine why the UK and Nor- and North America had this sort of despair face going. South America was all about music in 2016. They were all using musical note emoji, holding the number one spot in various countries in South America. Mexico was the high five emoji. And uh, you had uh, Spain's emoji was the arm making a bicep muscle pose. So, you know, showing them the guns. So it was just one gun. It's the right arm. So Spain apparently was very um muscular there might have been some machismo in there. I don't know. Uh, Germany was giving everybody the old thumbs up, and Italy, France, and Japan all had different variations of hearts. Like one had like a heart with a little arrow through it. One of them had a heart with little wings attached. But yeah, they all they all were very sweet. Whereas South Korea was getting super romantic with a lips emoji. You know, like a lipstick mark, smoochy, smoochy. Hey, South Korea. Call me. Hope you're not upset about those Samsung episodes I did where I talked about your government. In the end, emoji and emoticons can help us get those messages across with less of a chance for a misinterpretation of our intent, or they can be used to completely baffle our audience or present a challenge. What the heck does it mean if I post an airplane, cake, monkey, and Irish flag in sequence? I'll never tell. But I do hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. If you have suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, you can send those to me. You can send them via email. The show's address is TechStuff at howstuffworks.com or you can always drop me a line on Facebook or Twitter. The handle for both of those would be techstuffhsw. Remember, I live stream my podcasts on Wednesdays and Fridays over at twitch.tv slash techstuff. So feel free to jump over there, check out the schedule, see if you can Join us for a live show. The chat room is a lot of fun, and I tend to spend a lot of time chatting with you guys in between segments. So I look forward to seeing you there in the near future, and I'll talk to you again really soon. Winky face.
1: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
0: if you dare.
1: mo play